It's not just junk mail, right? It's not one of those massive uh, kind of emails that just go out. And you think, oh, it says my name at the top, you know, dear Robbie, but this, this person doesn't know me, right? This isn't to me. It's very personalized. A similar story comes then later in, in, in the Gospel of John. Jesus is on the scene, and he's already called um, Peter and Andrew. And now, from the same village that they're from, there's this guy named Philip. So Jesus calls Philip, and he just says, come and see. And Philip comes, and he sees. Philip, had Philip not responded, right, he he would have never kind of experienced it. It was an individual call to Philip. But Philip comes and sees, and and he he discovers the gospel truth, right? He, He... realizes that Jesus is the one who Moses had prophesied about. Moses had said that the day will come where God will raise up another prophet like me in the day of Israel, right? And this is that prophecy, uh, Andrew and Philip, or um, Peter and Andrew, but then also now Philip is realizing that he's the one. And so he goes to Nathaniel. And he's like, Nate, you're never going to believe it. We found him. We found the one. We found the one of whom Moses had talked about centuries ago. It's the son of Joseph of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, ah, are you kidding me? Nazareth? What good ever came out of Nazareth? Now, that's such an odd statement. Um, preachers and, and theologians and commentators have struggled with that one for centuries. Like, what in the world is Nathaniel talking about? And, you know, we're quick. We, you know, religious types, are quick to try to spiritualize things. And we try to make some sense of this. And because Nazareth shares the same root, the Hebrew root, as the word that means branch. And because branch is a symbol that gets used to describe the Messiah, people want to connect that Nazareth, through this connection with the word branch, must be referenced to the Messiah. Uh, We say a lot of things. (laughs) And sometimes they're, they're a bit of a stretch. I think, I think there, there might be a simpler answer here. Nazareth is basically nowhere. I mean, it doesn't make the map. There is no reference to Nazareth in the Old Testament. There is no reference to Nazareth in the Apocrypha. There is no re- reference to Nazareth in the Talmuds. There is no reference to Nazareth uh, in the Mishnah. I mean, Nazareth just did not make the map. Now, I'm from a small town, you know, Appalachian American. And we were, my little town was the county seat. So it was the largest town in the county. And the interstate ran through our town. And we had about 6,000 people there. 
So it didn't, it wouldn't take you very long. Well, it could take you fairly long because the mountains that we lived in took you forever to get anywhere, right? My grandmother didn't live very far away, but it was like an hour journey because <laughs> there were three mountains between my house and hers. But there were these little spots, just wide spots in the road. They didn't really have a post office. They didn't have a traffic light. But if you ask somebody where they're from, you know, they would tell you, I'm from Gross Close. That's an actual place. I did not change the name to protect the innocent. <laughs> right? There's just little wide spots in the road. That's what Nazareth was. I think Nathaniel had this expectation that the Messiah would come from Jerusalem or you know, perhaps Bethlehem, if he, if he knew scripture a little better, right? But you're not, you're not expecting Nazareth. So as opposed to coming up with an elaborate kind of spiritual reading of this text, I think just a, a plain kind of, you know, we are prejudiced people, and that's the way we often work, and Nathaniel was no different, Right? Like he's suffering from the same type of prejudice that we all suffer from sometimes where we think things should be a certain way and, and how in the world could God ever work through that, right? How in the world would God ever work through a person who looks like that or who is named that who are, or who is from there, right? But Nathaniel comes, his, Philip, uh, his friend Philip convinces him nonetheless to come And when he does, Jesus speaks to him. And he says, behold, the true Israelite. And Nathaniel's like, I think I like this guy. (laughs) Right? Anytime we get complimented, it makes it easier, right? So to to think maybe maybe this person's not so bad. They think well of me. And he says, uh, Nathaniel's like, how, how do you know? How do you know me? He said, I, well, I saw you sitting beneath the tree before Philip came to you. He's like, man, you are the king of Israel. Which is a wonderful thing for somebody to say who's just been pronounced as a true Israelite. So who can announce the king of Israel other than the true Israelite? And we see kind of Nathaniel's response to the invitation, to the call. So both of those texts, both our Old Testament text and our New Testament text, speak to the individuality, right, of the gospel. That it's, it's not just a blanket call, it's a personal call. And you are personally being called the same way Samuel was, the same way Philip was. But there is a New Testament passage for today as well, an epistle passage. We didn't read it to you because I wanted to uh, read it myself. This comes from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul writes this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. 
The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one with her body, uh, one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, have you ever wondered... Why is it that our study Bibles or these, these lectionaries that, that denominations put together choose different texts to go together? Like, who said on the second Sunday of Epiphany, why don't we take this story about Samuel when he was a boy being called by God and Nathaniel as an adult man being called by God and then Paul's comment about uh, prostitutes and fornication. That all goes nicely together. Thanks for laughing. <laughs> because your first thought might be, whoever's, who's ever choosing this might need some more kind of theological training. But I, I want to suggest that that's not the case. Because this is not that either or. It is that both and. Um. You know, something sometimes, well, there's always something lost in translation. When you're dealing with one language and you're trying to translate it into another, it's difficult because language is so kind of culturally embedded. And this language, the language this text was originally written in was, was Greek. And they, um, the Greeks used, or the Greek language is very um, particular in, in the kind of singular and plural that sometimes gets lost in an English translation because if I tell you that I, I need you to do something, you don't know if that you means you, Carol, or if that you meant you, everyone in the room, right? So we have ways in our colloquialism that we deal with this, right? In the South, we say y'all, which is a contraction for you all. And if you're not from the South, perhaps... You, you're not, that's not part of your typical speech, but you've heard of it. Y'all have heard of it, right? But if you're from different parts of the country, let's say you're from New England. I don't know. I'll just say Connecticut. We have some folks from Connecticut here today. So in New England, uh, y'all might not be the way you refer to a plural you. They'll just take an S and they'll stick it on you and say yous, Right? And we have ways of referring both to like a collective plural. It's a plural of the plural. In the South, we would say all y'all, right? All y'all. And then again, in New England, they might say use guys. Yeah, yeah, youngs. In, in the King James, for those of you who, who are partial to the King James translation, the English at one time had a singular you and a plural you. It wasn't formal, 
But it was, again, it was colloquial. It was the way that regular people talked. And so if you wanted to say you and you meant you, just one person, you would say thou. And if you wanted to say you and you meant kind of a group of people, you'd say ye, right? Go ye into all the world. That's like saying y'all go into all the world, right? It's, it's a colloquial translation. It's a, it's a way of kind of using our everyday type of speech. And this passage out of 1 Corinthians, I'm, I'm going to kind of retranslate it for us just a bit so you can pick up on the singular and the plural, do, do y'all not know that y'all's bodies are members of Christ? Suggesting that your body is a member of Christ, and your body is a member of Christ, and your body is a member of Christ. And at home, uh, online, on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, your body is a member of Christ. So everybody's body is a member of Christ. Y'all's bodies are members of Christ. This speaks to the individuality of the faith. That God just doesn't have a people, but God has particular people. But then he says, as he's telling them about how you use your body, right? That there's certain ways you should use your body because y'all's body, singular, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like sometimes I've heard this described as though everybody's body is a temple of the Spirit. I kind of like that uh, idea. And I, I don't know that somehow the, you can, might not make a case for it. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying you're a temple and you're a temple and you're a temple and you're a temple. Right? That's, um, you know, people who, who like to work out a lot. They're like, my body is a temple, right? I eat right and I exercise. My body's more like an 82 Chevette. <laughs> it's, it's, it's old and worn out, but not quite an antique. <laughs> but, but Paul, Paul's a rabbi. Uh, Paul, Paul's a second temple Jewish scholar. For the Jew, there was only one temple. There weren't lots of temples. So while our bodies are members of the body of Christ, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple of the Holy Spirit for Paul is something that takes shape in our collective togetherness. It's us. Now, us is made up of a bunch of individuals. But the group of us is more than just any one of us. The reason that we're committed to being together, this is the gospel truth. And the gospel truth is just this, that what the world is telling you, what you see on the news, what you're hearing from your friends, what you're seeing on your social media feeds is false. It is not us versus them. It's us and them. Right? We're right here together. I mean, we're kind of apart because of COVID, right? We're keeping our distance. But still, we're together. We're committed to one another. 
We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a powerful thing for a rabbi to say. Now, and he is really on a, on a rant here in 1 Corinthians. He says this in chapter 6. That there was a building at that time. Now, he's writing to the church in Corinth. There was a building at that time in Jerusalem called the temple. But Paul is already domesticating that. He's, he's already saying, look. The true temple of the Holy Spirit is not just a building that stands in Jerusalem. The true temple of the Holy Spirit is the collective body of the believers of Christ. Our bodies are members of the body of Christ. And our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So by taking all of these texts and placing them together... By taking an Old Testament passage and a gospel passage that talk about individuals being called. And then pairing it with this epistle passage that talks about us being together. We get the totality of the gospel truth. That God has not saved us from the world. God has saved us for the world. For God so loved the world that whosoever should come to the table. And while you might have been a whosoever as you're coming to the table, when you get to the table, God knows your name. And God wants you to get to know the names of the other people at the table.